All right. Hey, we welcome you back. Hey, there are some high-end seats up front here this morning. Um, if you want to upgrade, you can upgrade. You can upgrade and... Uh, Amen. I know you're saving the best seats for the people coming last minute, but um, yeah. Yeah, is that the way it goes? I may travel this morning. Amen. Praise God. We're going to be back in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. So on Palm Sunday, if you haven't had a chance to just come up here, these lilies are just like incredible. I mean, they look beautiful, right? There's probably some genetic, you know, (laughs) there's so many... uh, flowers on these lilies nowadays that it's incredible, but um, they're just very fragrant, so if you come up here, you'll smell that, so it's not my cologne or anything, it's just uh, it's just the lilies. Now, if you have allergies, <laughs> it may stuff you up a little, so all right, my, I've been fighting a few allergies, so as well, amen, and then if you looked on Facebook, you'll see that we had a busy day yesterday, Amy and I did, we went up to Omaha, and I killed the fatted calf, and um, did some brisket, and uh, Aaron proposed yesterday, so we had a gathering with uh, her family and our family, and and so uh, I had a full day yesterday, so you can see some of those pictures there. I uh, found a nice young lady up there in Omaha, a nice family, so we're really excited for him. So She said yes. Yeah, I was kind of like, I did all this work. I'm hoping she says yes. So... Yeah, I think she was just waiting. Yeah, she was kind of looking at every occasion. She was kind of wondering if this is the time. So, All right. All right. So Palm Sunday we talked. We we took a break from the uh, book of Acts for Palm Sunday. We talked about how Palm Sunday reveals the humble king, the Messiah, and the one who brings us peace. And then Easter we talked about that I may know just that our personal quest to know God is important in each of our lives. And we all get there at a different place. Um, a different time. It takes di- people different, um, you know, just progression. Some people, boom, they hear the gospel and they, they latch onto it right away. Other people, it's more of a longer process that they have to work through. Some need all the facts. Some of them, people, it, it's more of the experience. I think you need both to have a vibrant relationship with Christ because you can have all the facts, but until you have the experience, it's not that relationship. And some people get the relationship, they experience Christ, but then you need to have the facts come behind that as well, because that's how you share your faith, right? And so we're back in the book of Acts this morning. We've looked at the ministry of Peter. We did look at um, Paul's or Saul's conversion. Um, so we looked at those already. You can go, always go, go back and catch those on our uh, Facebook, but even more so the YouTubers, the edited version there, our YouTube page, and get those messages. So Luke is written, I mean, the book of Acts is written by Luke, and so he writes the gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts, all right? Um, and he mentions that. And so Acts is really, the premise of Acts is Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, all right? And so you see that progression take place as you read through the book of Acts. It begins in Jerusalem and then out to Judea. So we, we looked at the ministry of Peter, and so he's in that, those reaches of Judea up at Cornelius's place there, uh, which is kind of in Joppa area, okay? Star Wars, right? That's why I call it, right? <clears throat> North of Jerusalem and along the Mediterranean Sea. 
Um, and so we look at the ministry of Peter going out into those regions, and today we're kind of in that same area as we look at uh, the ministry of Peter as well. But now he's back in Jerusalem. He's come back from Judea. So we're going to see that progression even more so than as we look at the ministry of Paul, which starts next week, all right? Um, so we looked at chapter 10. That was the ministry of Peter going to Cornelius' house, a great story there. Um, God helps him to cross some barriers, right? Because for them to, uh, for a Jewish person to go into a Gentile's home was kind of, understood as a no-no for a Jewish person. Now, it's not biblical. It wasn't written in Scripture. You're not supposed to do this. But that had been adapted by Jewish culture, right? And so God prepares them, gives them a vision, says, hey, don't call unclean what I've called clean. He goes there. The people are hungry for the gospel. God, they're saved and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Just boom, just like that. And they go, wow. God loves all people, and the message of salvation and the Holy Spirit's for all people. But, you know, God, Jesus had said that, right? But now it's kind of like, okay, all people, he actually meant Gentiles too, right? Um, and, and we have to keep that in perspective even within our own culture. Um, sometimes we can get kind of narrow and we think, you know what, the gospel's just for us, for people like us, but it's for all people whom the Lord will call. Amen? And so chapter 11 is, uh, we're going to kind of skip over chapter 11 you can go ahead and read that this afternoon uh, while you're relaxing. But it just, Peter explains his actions to the church in Jerusalem. Hey, this is what happened. And they're saying, why did you go into a Gentile's home? And so he explains what happens. And they go, wow, God has, God has uh, also opened up the doors to the Gentile people. All right. So he, he explains some of that. Um, and then it also explains that a little bit about Antioch, that uh, Barnabas gets Saul from Tarshish and takes them to Antioch. Antioch is in the north. That is where the believers are first called what? Christians. That's a, like a trivia question, right? I remember that from Bible quiz days. They're first called Christians in Antioch, right? And that's verse uh, 26 of chapter 11. And then we'll, we'll, we'll learn more about what happens in Antioch in chapter 13. All right? But we're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 12. Before we do this, just bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the living word of God that is able to shape and transform us, Lord God, as we yield our life to you, Lord God. As we're our, our mind is renewed, it leads to transformation, Lord. And so, Lord God, come and fill this place and just take uh, the words that are spoken here, take your word and make it come alive to us. Let it accomplish uh, the purpose for which it was sent, Lord. We give you the thanks. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Verses 1 through 4 is where we're going to find our first point here. So um, so Peter goes back to Jerusalem, and we're going to find out what happens when he goes back to Jerusalem. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. Now we know that Herod was a name when Jesus was born, right? It was Herod the Great that issued the decree and had all the babies killed, right? Um, and so they, Jesus and his parents escaped to Egypt. Okay, this isn't the same Herod. This is actually uh, King Herod Agrippa I, all right? And so he is the grandson to Herod the Great, all right? But so same name kind of, but different people, all right? But he arrests Peter because um, he's arresting people because they wanted to persecute the church. 
So verse 2, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. We know that John the Baptist, right? We read that in the first part of the Gospels during the ministry of Jesus. He's beheaded. We're not told that uh, James is beheaded. He's just put to death with the sword, so just probably ran him through the sword. What a way to die, right? <clears throat> All because of his faith in Jesus Christ and what they were doing. Verse 3, when he saw that this met the approval of the Jews, okay, they, they liked that, that uh, Herod was kind of partnering with these religious leaders and putting down some of these uh, followers of Jesus. Uh, when he saw that they met their approval, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the feast or festival of unleavened bread, um, which is kind of synonymous with Passover. So when is Jesus crucified? It is during that same time frame, right? So this is years later, right? Uh, I don't know if we know the exact amount, if it's one, two, three, four years later. He is arrested, Peter, during this time of Passover and unleavened bread. And after arresting him, they put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So if you're the math genius here, how many is that? Sixteen, right? So being the terrorist threat that Peter was, right, he is being guarded by 16 soldiers. Isn't that incredible? They feared Peter so much that they were willing to commit all this military strength to guard one person. And we know that Peter was really good with the sword, right? On the night that Jesus is betrayed, what did he manage to do with that sword? Yeah, he wasn't able to kill anybody. He was able to lop off an ear, right, But um, that Jesus put back on. right? So we don't get the impression Peter was a fisherman. He was not good with the sword, all right? And, um, and yet they're treating him uh, with the utmost uh, caution that he's going to escape, all right? After all, Jesus did escape the tomb, right? Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. All right. The first thing that we see here is that opposition accompanies the advancement of the gospel. So we see in the book of Acts, the gospel is going forth. But as it goes forth, it is often met with opposition, right? Now, Peter, James, John, the disciples, now called apostles, they aren't doing anything. They're not breaking any laws, human laws. Uh, they're not you know, stirring up the population, but people are getting saved. And it was in the name of Jesus that these religious leaders, you know, they'd crucified Jesus, so now they're doing miracles in the name of Jesus. And so the religious leaders are just wanting to put this behind them, and so is some of the Roman government. And the Roman government kind of sees this as a way to make peace with the Jewish population. And so they say, hey, we're going to persecute the church. It kind of builds favor with some of the Jewish population. But advancement often f accompanies the gospel, right, as it goes forth. And we see that in Jerusalem. You know, Saul was persecuting the Christians there. And then now Paul gets converted and he goes into Gentile regions. We'll see those in the following chapters here in the book of Acts. But there he also meets opposition. Many times he would go into a city and people would get saved. Next thing you know, it, he's, he's going on to the next town because they're about ready to kill him, right? Um, and then you go to the next place and... We're going to see that they do try to kill him in one, in one place there. You know, if the disciples would have lived their lives in quiet seclusion after the death of Jesus, probably nothing would have happened, right? They just could have kind of blended into um, their culture, 
and nothing would have happened. But because they were preaching and teaching and doing miracles in the name of Jesus, this irritated the Jewish population and even the Roman leadership. It threatened the well-being of their life and their stability. Um, I would still say today even the gospel will face resistance. It will. Now, there's times I think that Christians do, can I say stupid things, and, and create hostility. That's not what I'm talking about here. Just by being, presenting Christ in a way that is honest and honoring, sometimes it will bring opposition. You go into Islamic-controlled nations, it can cost a person their life, right? Um, and even in our culture today, there has been a shift over the last 20, 30, 10 years that when you mention that you are a Christian, it, it may just bring a response that you're not expecting, right? You know, I'm, I'm proud of all of you because I know a lot of you invited people to Easter, right? And some of you, you saw people come and they responded to your invitation. Some of you, you invited and maybe didn't see the response you wanted, but you were planting a seed, right? I don't know, maybe some of you even got, you invited, did anybody get, I don't know, did anybody get like a real hostile response from somebody saying, oh, how dare you invite me? Did anybody? Okay, that's good. But sometimes just by people's absence, we, we kind of see, you know, they didn't respond. But some come, some did come, right? And they came and they heard the gospel and some people responded because you stepped out and you took that step to trust God and invite. We have to understand, we can't get discouraged because we have to, we have to understand that Satan is at work, right? He's working in the lives of people that don't know him. Sometimes there's just that veil over their, their eyes and they can't to see, even, you're in, even though you invite them, they can't see past that. And sometimes people are dealing with their own stuff, right? And Satan's working in their life to discourage them and to lead them. Sometimes they're just caught up with their own sinful things, right? Sin is pleasant for a season. It's enticing. If it wasn't, people wouldn't do it, right? And they're held in, in bondage to those things. And so when we present the gospel, it will bring opposition at times. We're going against mainstream culture. We're going against addictions and fleshly desires that reside in human beings. We're going against Satan himself who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, right? And as we get deeper into the book of Acts, it becomes apparent that advancing the gospel, there is going to be resistance, hardship, and sometimes persecution. And I know that's why you all came to church this morning. It is to hear that, amen? Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and, you know, Gary read Ephesians chapter 6, put on the full armor of God. And Paul's probably writing that when he, he's in house arrest, right? But he understands that very clearly that you, at times we have to have that military mindset that, that as I am a Christian, that sometimes it's going to bring favor and people are going to respond to it with eagerness, but there's going to be times where even people could be hostile to us, not because we're mean, not because they don't like us, but because of who we represent, amen? And we have to have that mindset, I believe. Otherwise, we can really be taken off guard. This is the thing that's important, though. Why did Paul keep going? Why did he keep sharing Christ when people would reject him, when they would sometimes try to kill him, why they would chase him out of town. Why did he keep sharing Christ? 
Romans 1.16. Maybe you know it. If you do it, say it with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and to the Gentile. You know, that was deep within Paul's life. And, um, you know, he above all people was a persecutor of the church and then God saves him and, and now he's the one being persecuted. But why did he do it? Because he knew it was the power of God to bring transformation into the lives of people. And so he, didn't, he could have lived in quiet seclusion as well. He didn't have to go on those missionary journeys. He didn't have to hear the voice of God. But he did it, right? He gave up what was probably a pretty comfortable life to live a life on the road, to be mocked, to be ridiculed. Why? Because he knew it was the power of God to change people's lives. You have a message. God's entrusted you with a message that has the power to save somebody from hell and eternity. I was talking to a guy in Cabela's yesterday, and, you know, we were just having a cultural conversation, and then all of a sudden, the more he talked to me, all of a sudden, then, the, you know, the, the, the language got a little vulgar and stuff like that. He made some comments that just kind of like, hey, we're in Cabela's here, you know. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, people are really lost, and they need a Savior. They need a Savior, and God's entrusted us with that message. You know, to say something means you could probably offend them, not that you're being rude, but because you're sharing Christ with them, right? Amen. Let's look at point number two, verses 5 through 19. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That word earnest in the NIV means fervent, strong, eager prayers, earnestly praying. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains. So get the picture. He has one soldier tied, chained to him on this side, one soldier chained to him on this side. I, I mean, we're, they're taking Peter pretty serious here. They do not want Peter to escape. Plus, they have sentries at the door. In other words, their job, their they're sentinels, they're, they're there guarding. Their whole job is to guard and look for intruders, people that shouldn't be there. That's their whole job. They're posted there to protect anybody from coming the outside. Verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I don't know how hard he punched him, I don't know, but I sometimes like the humor here. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And so I, I'm assuming Luke has interviewed Peter, and he's getting this firsthand account right from Peter. In verse 8, then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So the chains fall off. So he's, he's released from these soldiers that are there. The doors open, and they walk out. The angel said to him, put on your clothes, wrap your cloak around you, follow me. The angel told him, verse 9, Peter followed him outside the prison, but he had no idea that the angel was really, you know, what was happening, what he was really doing. He thought it, he was seeing a vision. Then the night air, verse 10, but then he passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened by itself. Right? 
maybe would have frightened some of us. He went through it, and when he had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and says, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called John Mark. Now we're going to learn more about John Mark in the next chapter, but we also learn about him on the night that Jesus is betrayed. There's a young man that when the soldiers come in to arrest Jesus, there's somebody that just, he's so startled that what? He leaves without his clothes, man. He's just naked as a drake bird is the way it sounds. So that's John Mark, okay? And we're going to find out he's, he he's a, has a great heart, but he, he doesn't like tension. <laughs> he, he doesn't like evil, okay? Uh, he gets frightened easy. So he just... So th- there at, all these people are gathered at the house of John Marks, okay? His mother's there. And they were praying, right? We learned that they're earnestly praying, right? And Peter knocks on the door. And a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door and And when she recognized Peter's voice, so she doesn't have one of those doors that open up and she can see, but she recognizes his voice. And she's overjoyed, so she's doing the happy dance. And she runs back without opening the door and explains to the people, Peter is at the door. And everybody says, all right, God has answered our prayers. That's what they said, right? Verse 15, you are out of your mind, they told her. (laughs) Don't you just love their faith, right? And she kept insisting that it was so. And they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers. So we have to, James was just killed, wasn't he? Isn't that what we just read? That James was put to death with the sword? So who's this? This is the brother of Jesus. So this isn't James, the brother of John. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who would later become, be seen as the leader of the church, would write the book of James, all right? Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. And he said, then he left for another place. And in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers, all right? They wake up. You know, those guys in the cell there, they have chains and shackles on their wrists, but there's no Peter. He's gone. They didn't know what had become of Peter. And after Herod had done a thorough search for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be, what? Executed. Not a good night to be on duty, was it? All right. Am I there? Okay, it's just like I cut out. I did cut out. Am I still there? I'm going to switch. All right, test. There we go. A little bit too much there. All right. And so they cross-examined him, these guards, and they executed him. What do we see there? You're going to have to turn me down just a little bit, Chris. I'll get a little echo here. The second principle is that hard times can call for earnest prayers, right? Hard times call for earnest prayers. Um, Prayers that are bold, confident, strong, eager, and fervent. And as they prayed, God did an incredible miracle. But it's kind of funny. Why were the believers shocked that God answered their prayer? Why were they shocked? 
maybe because of James, what happened to James, the brother of John, that he had been executed. And, and while they were praying for Peter's release and for that to happen, they also feared the worst, right? You ever prayed like that? You're praying for the best, but you also have, you're fearing the worst, right? I think of Jason and Oneda just as they uh, were praying and the church was praying with them and we had a text loop going and just to see people praying out there. And uh, I, I just remember uh, I was at the mill. It was like a Tuesday or Wednesday before Easter. And Jason said, it'd be really be nice if we got home before Easter. We almost made it, right? Came home on Monday after Easter, right? Um, but earnest prayers. It, it's always hard to know what to do there, Right? But we, we pray for the best, but sometimes there's always still those fears there. And I think that's just the humanity of it, folks, is that we need to pray in faith, and we have to believe God. And, and there is humor in this passage, but I think it's also very much, it, it portrays to us that, you know, you know, we can be hard on ourselves as well. We can pray great prayers, and we think, oh, I'm not f- afraid of what could happen. Yeah, we are. It's just part of our humanness. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray great prayers and trust God. Amen? And God did an incredible miracle there. And as I mentioned earlier, prayer is about our intimacy with God and coming before Him. It's more than just asking requests. It is that communication with Him. But I also know that God hears our prayers, and our prayers can even sway the heart of God. You say, no way. Yes, way. Our prayers can sway the heart of God. Is there an example of that? Yeah, there is. If you remember God's conversation with Abraham, and Lot goes to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And God says, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to destroy it all. And God says, well, you know what? If, if, if there's just so many people that, that respond and that are righteous there, don't destroy it. And God says, okay, if there's 100 there, but there wasn't 100. And God, then Abraham realized, you know, Abraham was pretty smart. He knew there, there wasn't 100 there. He goes, what if there's 50? God, will you spare them? God says, uh, okay, if there's 50. He goes, if there's just 10, will you spare them? And God says, okay. But there wasn't even 10 people there. But God did allow Abraham, I mean, Lot and his wife, his daughters. uh, Lot's wife turned around. She turned into a pillar of salt. But God still allowed them to escape and Lot to escape. Our prayers can sway the heart of God if we pray those earnest prayers by faith. What is Paul? Uh, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some think Paul, some think somebody else. I think it was somebody else. But this is what he says in Hebrews four fourteen through 16. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is un- unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Therefore, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what God does call us to do. He calls us to come with confidence, to pray bold prayers, earnest prayers, and to come before him. Will God always answer our prayers? I believe he does. Now, here's the catch. He he may not always answer the prayer the way we want. All right? 
Was the church praying when James got executed? I, I'm, I'm assuming they probably did. I have a feeling they prayed a little bit harder during Peter because of what happened to James. But I have a hard time believing that they weren't praying during when James was on trial. Why did God spare the life of Peter and not James? I, that's a question you get to ask God when you get to heaven, okay? And you may have your own questions for him. There is the, the providence of God, and he, he is sovereign. All I know is that God hears our prayers, and when we pray earnest prayers, God does respond to them. And sometimes even in a dramatic fashion, as we see in our account today with the escape of Peter, that was truly an incredible miracle that God delivered Peter from. Hard times do call for earnest prayers. Let's look at our third point. Verses 19, the last part of 19 down through the end of the chapter. It says, Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea. So, Chris, you can put up that map real quick. And you can kind of see um, if you're able to put on your magnification there maybe a little bit. And uh, Jerusalem is down here, kind of by the northern end of the Dead Sea. And then Caesarea is over here by the coast up north. Herod goes up there to reside. But there was quarreling between the people of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, and if you were to look at it in the original language, it's actually they were, they were at war with each other. Okay? They had now joined together and sought an audience with Herod. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant, wouldn't that be a great name to, you know, you're this kind of bodyguard, your name is Blastus. Doesn't that just sound, you know, just kind of, yeah. All right. He was a trusted personal servant of the king, and they, he asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for the food supply. And on appointed day, Herod was wearing his royal robes. He sat on the throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, This is the voice of God, not of a man. Now, there was one other person in, in biblical times that kind of the same thing happened. Anybody think of that? It's the Old Testament. It's in Babylon. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, remember that? He had this great speech, and he thought, hey, I'm, I'm like God, right? And then he spent the next seven years living like a wild animal until he raised his, his head towards heaven and God restored him. But Herod hears the praise of the people, and he says in verse 23, um, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Doesn't that just sound like a great way to die? Right? Eaten by worms and died. Scholars don't really exactly know what that means. Was he eaten by mag? Died and then the maggots took over, or did he actually have worms in the inside and they just consumed him? We don't know. But he was struck down and he died. This kind of doesn't sound like a very pleasant way to die, does it? But here's the cool part, verse twenty-four. <coughs> verse twenty-four. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. That means to multiply, increase, and grow. The third thing that I see here is that through prayer, the church advances. 
through prayer, the church advances. Was there some hard times going on here? Absolutely. There was persecution. People are being arrested and persecuted because of their faith in Christ. The Roman government and the Jewish people were trying to squash what God was doing. But as they earnestly prayed, the church continued to grow and flourish. You know, in China, and China's been in the news a lot just for what's happening over there right now, but there was a time that we had missionaries in China 40, 50 years ago. And then it shifted to strong communism. The missionaries had to leave. We didn't know what was happening in China, but during that time of communism, the church began to grow. It was one of the great examples of house churches and as people met. And now, you know, communism is still very much a thing there. I don't know where exactly the church is there. But what we learned through that is that even during times of persecution, the church can flourish. And we, we thank God for the freedom that we have in our nation and our country. Amen? But I think sometimes the harder thing on the church is, is having just the prosperity that we do as a nation because it is under times of difficult and duress that our church earnestly prays and that even in those times, God is greater than that and the church flourishes. And you can see that over and over. You know, often in, in our community, um, I, I've just felt opposition to the gospel. When we came here and the church was, you know, kind of, they had the core group kind of together and, and they had some leadership and, and they left. And so we came in and kind of picked things up where we left off. But whenever I go to Jason and Oneida's house, um, there's a place there. And um, I don't know if these people still live there, but one of the first things that we do when we got here is that we went door to door and we knocked on doors and we gave people a gift, the light bulbs, I believe. And we just, you know, told them about the church that we were starting meeting in the high school. And uh, we did that. But I remember it was somebody on the way to going to your house, Jason. It's, it's kind of a couple blocks away there. But uh, we went there and, and, man, we just, you know, said, hey, we got the light. They, they just get, became very upset and they kind of cussed at us and, you know, we, we were nice and pleasant. We kind of like, okay. But it was just very obvious that not everybody was excited that we were coming to Crete to start a church, right? Not everybody was excited about it. And there's still times where you sense the resistance here that as we take strongholds, Satan's not happy about it. Um, did you know, I don't know if you know that, the longer we've lived here, I hear more and more stories of, yeah, we were going to do a church plant in Crete, or we did do a church plant in Crete, and it just never happened. I've heard more and more stories of different denominations and fellowships where churches were tried to be started here, and they didn't succeed. 50% um, of church plants don't make it past the first year. So there is that part. But there is opposition to the gospel. But here's the great thing, that when God's people pray, the gospel can still flourish, even in hard times. Amen? It's kind of like the weeds in your garden, right? Right? I mean, you can put the good plants out there, and you take care of them, and it's kind of like, man, I wish we could get that genetics of weeds in the, in the other plants, right? So they just would come, right? I mean, they would just flourish. But weeds are so hardy. I mean, I looked out here. It's kind of like we get a little bit of warm weather and rain. And they're, they're just popping through the rocks. They're just coming out of nowhere, right? My garden doesn't do that. I have to take care of it, right? Right? I believe God, God can help us. Amen? 
Paul says this to Timothy. I like this. Uh, Second Timothy, we think, is the final book that Paul would write before um, he would be executed. But Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. He was risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as he preached in my, uh, in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal. So Paul is very real. He realizes the opposition that comes to the gospel. And that's why he's in chains, is because of his faith in Christ. Right? God has delivered him many times. So as we go through the book of Acts, you're going to see how God has delivered him, even raised him from the dead. But now he's, he's in chains. But he says, but the word of God is what? Is not bound. And Paul realized that even in prison, he was, even though he was shackled, he was able to bring people to Christ. And he had a captive audience, didn't he, right? He had these soldiers, they had to guard him. And so, oh man, it's kind of like he, they, you know, he just preached to them, right? And I think people, some of them, accepted Christ as their Lord and their Savior. God's word is not chained. Yeah, well, there'll be opposition. Yeah, there is. But the gospel still advances even in hard times. I'm going to have the musicians come. Opposition will accompany the advancement of the gospel. I don't think that's a matter of if. I think it does. Is it always that way? No. There's times where there's great favor, where God just opens up doors, sometimes when we don't even expect it. But hard times also call for earnest prayers. We're not just to throw our hands up in the air. We're not to be defeated. We are to go to God with bold, fervent, eager prayers to seek his face. And through prayer, the church advances. So as we close, you know, how does this apply to me? I'm a new Christian. Does God want me sharing my faith? Yeah, he does. Isn't that just pastor's job? No. God told us all to go into the world, and as we go, make disciples of all nations. And that's why God gave us his Holy Spirit, so that you and I, we can be the witness that he's called us to be. We could be like, what the, you know, we could make a decision like the disciples could have. They didn't. But if they would have just lived in quiet seclusion, they probably would have avoided a lot of the hardship. And I have a feeling some of the early church did that. They tried to live under the radar. But you know, that's not going to advance the gospel. It's not going to advance the gospel. So Jesus says, as you go, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to your place to buy groceries, make disciples of all nations. Will some reject the message? Yeah, some will. But then there's going to be somebody like Cornelius that is just eager to hear what you have to say. And sometimes we don't always know which is going to be the, the open door and which one's going to be the closed door. We just have to walk through the doors that God leads or has us walk through. Secondly, you know, there are those doors that do are closed to us. And the problem seems ominous. But we do have a God who answers earnest prayers. Amen? And so I, I just think of little Jared. We're just going to pray complete healing there. He's home. He needs to still get some strength back. 
He's a big kid already. He's really growing. This is what Matthew records of Jesus. He says, But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He will reward you. God hears earnest prayers. He does. How do we know when he's going to answer it the way we want to? I don't know. You just try to walk with him and trust him. Trust him. I just know that God, he does answer them. Amen? And he wants us to come before him. Amen. Amen. Would you stand this morning? have Christy if you'd make your way up front and Gary if you would come as well I know some people are wanting prayer this morning and so uh, uh, if you can be available to pray with people this morning Amen. let's just bow our heads in prayer uh, we may have somebody listening online or somebody here that just hasn't put their faith in Christ and the gospel is clear that if we put our faith in God and we uh, believe in what he did on the cross of Calvary, that he took our sin with him to the cross, if we put our faith in him, we will be saved. Our sins will be forgiven. Our heart, our mind will be washed clean. And so if that's you this morning, put your faith in Christ. Accept him as your Lord and your Savior and know him. And Lord, this morning, just as we come before you, God, uh, release your church to do what you've called us to do. Lord God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. But Lord God, release us maybe from the fears that we sometimes have within our own hearts, just in our own humanness, Lord God, of, of being the person, the Christian you've called us to be and to share our faith, Lord. Release us from those fears, Lord God. Fill us with the boldness of the Holy Spirit. And Lord God, make us a people of prayer that earnestly come before you and, and, and knock on heaven's door and say, God, we need an answer to prayer for this need, for this request. And Lord God, I believe that you will be faithful to answer that prayer, Lord God, and to hear our prayers. Lord God, uh, just fill us with your Holy Spirit. Uh, sing this course together. If you have a prayer request this morning, will you make your way forward? We're going to agree with you in prayer. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, just as we close in prayer, we're going to pray for Ramon. Uh, if you, Patricia and Ramon, they're part of our Hispanic congregation. But Ramon was the one kind of spearheading the breakfast last week. Uh, what I didn't know is he was dealing with heart issues, heart pains and things like that. He's going in for open heart surgery this Friday, right? Um, and uh, probably for some bypasses and stuff. So uh, we want to keep them, keep him in prayer. And uh, kind of like, Ramon, you should have told me that before. <laughs> so we want to pray for him. If you have a need this morning, would you just raise a hand that... Uh, we're just going to look, bring these requests before him. Father, this morning we come before you, Lord God.
You call us to come confidently and boldly before your throne of grace to find help in our time of need, Lord. And so, Lord God, we lift up Ramon to you, Lord. Just have your hand over his life. We pray that this surgery is a success, Lord God. Uh, Just allow his body to recover and heal quickly. Pray for John Kruger's mom that had knee surgery this week and uh, maybe he's having a few complications there, Lord God. We just pray for your healing touch over her to strengthen her, Lord God. And Lord God, for um, unspoken requests, you see the hands that are raised here this morning, Lord God. Um, Nothing is too big, Lord God. Lord God, just as we read the account of how Peter was released, we realize that you are a pretty incredible God. And Lord God, give us the faith to come before you and to trust you and to, to come before you with that confidence and that faith, Lord, and to seek your face. Lord God, we give you the thanks. We give you the praise. Go with us this week. Um, let us go with boldness and courage, Lord God. Let us be a light in the, this world, Lord God. Lord God, you've placed that within us. We're those earthen vessels, Lord God, that shine forth the glory of God. Lord God, we give you the thanks. We give you the praise. We ask it in your precious and holy name. And everybody said, praise God. Maybe see this morning, greet each other.